Welcome to the Giants Huddle, a New York Giants podcast. I'm Paul Dottino, and welcome to the Giants Huddle podcast. Today's guests are former Giants general manager Ernie Accorsi and former Giants beat writer for the Bergen Record, Vinny Detrani, discussing George Young's induction into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But first, I want to remind you that you can find the Giants Huddle podcast on Giants.com, the Giants mobile app, and all your favorite podcast platforms. Find all the Giants podcast offerings on Giants.com slash podcasts. First, we are joined by former general manager Ernie Accorsi. So, Ernie, you probably know George Young better than anybody possibly could. Your, your time with him goes back to Baltimore. I don't know why it took so long for him to get into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, but if you had had your opportunity to talk to the selectors, what would have been your number one pitch to get George in there sooner than he finally did? Well, you know, I never get hung up on all of that. I wish he would be alive, uh, but he would have had to go in 19 years ago for that to happen. I remember when John Mackey took forever to get in, and I kind of said the same thing you just said. John Mackey said, it doesn't matter. I'm in. Okay, well, but he was alive. Uh, I can only talk about George. I mean, he and I uh, started with the Baltimore Colts. He was there about a year and a half before me. Uh, and it's ironic that the very first day I was there, uh, I was introduced to him. First words out of his mouth were, did you go to a reading and writing school? What? I mean, you knew how important education was to George. So I told him, I went to Wake Forest. He accepted that. Uh, that night, I was staying, you know, I was just relocating, so my family was back in State College. I, I was staying in a motel on York Road in Baltimore for $6 a night, and I went to a uh, Rustler's Steakhouse on $1.99 steaks next door. I walk in, they're all benches, and Lovey and George are sitting there. And I had recognized him from just meeting him. Of course, I knew who he was from Penn State. He asked me to join him, and we talked for about two hours. Finally, Lovey said, can you take him home? I, I've had enough of this. So we, we talked forever. And it was amazing. From that night, my first night in the, in the organization, on, we really became very, very close friends. I don't think, um, obviously, when we worked together, but when I was in Cleveland and he was at the Giants, I don't think it, too many days went by, maybe two, they did, we didn't talk. Um, he did everything you can do. Uh, he, he was... And everything he did, he did at a level of excellence. He was a terrific football player at Bucknell and high school. Um, he was a great teacher in junior high school, his first job. He was a, one of the best high school football coaches at two different schools, Calvert Hall and City College High School in Maryland football history. Um, he was a great scout. He, he coached the offensive line in 1970 because they let the offensive line coach go after two games. Um, and it coached, it helped coach the team into the Super Bowl and win the Super Bowl. Went back to be a personnel director, uh, and, and then later uh, became a general manager, uh, and, and then became an executive. He was a trustee uh, counselor to, to Commissioner Tagliabue, who was going in with him. Uh, so there wasn't anything George did that he didn't do at a level of excellence. And above all, which I benefited from, and everybody else who worked with him or for him benefited from he was a tremendous teacher and he was able to teach uh in a, in a way that was you know not threatening not dictatorial uh you know and i i said in my statement that there you know there isn't a day that goes by i don't think about him and there isn't a day i go by that i don't think about something that he taught me 
So in 1970, when you're the PR guy with the Colts and he is working in various positions on the staff, including the offensive line coach, is there anything that tipped you off then that he would wind up having what would be a Hall of Fame career in so many various roles in the NFL? Well, no, the, the only thing was that, uh, and I'll tell two, two stories about it, that he, when, you know, the, the staff wanted somebody else into the offensive line. Coach. Sure. You know, I think they were a little threatened by George's intellect, to be honest with you. Uh, and he wasn't one of them. He wasn't a lifetime coach at the pro level or even collegiate level. So it, it, they, they kind of expressed that, that they wanted to hire Red Miller, who was a great offensive line coach. So George went back to being player personnel director. Two years later, the team was sold. Joe Thomas was the general manager. He fired the coaching staff and brought in Howard Schnellenberger, and George elected to leave that job to go back to coach the offensive line. And I said to him, you know, are you nuts? I said, you're on a track to become general manager, uh, general manager in this league, and maybe here. Uh, why are you going back to coaching? I remember he told me, he said, the best job in this league is a head coach. And that, that was what he had his eye on. But he was a coach. He had been a coach in high school. So, you know, he... That, that was his calling in his mind. But I will, say, I will tell you a story from Super Bowl V uh, that's so revealing. You get two weeks before the Super Bowl. He was the offensive line coach. Dallas had created, Landry had created what they call the flex defense, which is very simply explained that the, the left defensive end would be on the line of scrimmage. The left defensive tackle is a yard back. The right defensive tackle is on the line of scrimmage, and the right defensive end is a yard back. That's how they played it. They always played it. It kind of threw everybody off because no one else played it. So they're preparing, and I was in the meeting room with them. In those days, there were five people in the front office, so we all did everything from personnel to to PR to travel to everything. So I'm listening to him talk to the the staff and said, what are we going to do if they invert the flex? meaning left defensive end is a yard off, the left defensive tackle goes to the line of scrimmage. Mm-hmm. In other words, just the opposite as I described it. And the coaches said, forget it. They never invert the flex. And George said, fine, but what are we going to do if they do? They wouldn't hear of it. Guess what? <laughs> they come out. They had inverted the flex. I'm telling you, we couldn't gain an inch on the ground the whole game. And the only reason we won it is we intercepted three passes and finally got to the goal line. And Tom Nowatsky, who weighed about 255 pounds, just bowled his way into the end zone. We, could, we had the ball in the two-yard line, couldn't score. We couldn't gain an inch because we were not prepared for that. So that seems simple, but when you gear your running game and your offensive line movement and your pulls and everything else, your traps, to that flex defense, which was confusing enough, and they, they, they go opposite, that throws you off. And I remember, I mean, this is my first year in the league, and I'm just getting to know George, and I just remember thinking, you know, what a thinker this guy is. And I always thought, you know, he was going to be a general manager. He wanted to be a head coach. As it turns out, he did become a great general manager. Now, of course, you know, you later were a GM with the Colts and with the Browns as well, and you mentioned that you never stopped talking to George, but yet I don't ever remember you making a trade with him. What were those conversations like, and did you guys ever talk about trading personnel? I wasn't much of a trader, a veterans trader, but we had conversations like this. I would ask him 
for example, if a player was coming up for contract, and I did this with, you know, listen, let's be honest, you don't trust everybody in the league. And there are very few people you trust. I trusted George. I trust Kevin Culpert of the Steelers. And I'll give you an example of the kind of conversations I had with George. They had uh, Plexico was coming up for, for contract. And I called Kevin and said, Do you, are you going to resign him? If he said yes, the conversation was over. He said, no, I can't. i got to sign Heinz Ward. I don't have enough room. Then I asked him about Plexico. And by, by virtue of what he told me about Plexico, that's why I signed him. I had conversations like that with George, and George had those conversations with me. We drafted, before I became general manager, a linebacker named Johnny Cooks, who played for the Giants. He called me when I was in Cleveland. He said, are you going to sign Johnny Cooks? I said, no. We got four linebackers now. We had Cousineau, Chip Banks, you know, Eddie Johnson. We were loaded at linebacker, Clay Matthews. I said, no. He said, okay, tell me about him. Okay. If I would have said I'm interested in, in signing him, he would have dropped the subject. Uh, and we really never traded. I mean, you know, George didn't trade that much either. And, and, and I didn't. And so there weren't really, you, you know, you didn't trade that much unless you were trading draft choices in those days, uh, which is still mostly the trading is trading draft choices. So if, but conversations went, went like that. We talked about everything, but we never crossed the line, even though we weren't in the same conference. Uh, we came within one game of playing in the Super Bowl in 86. I mean, I came with an overtime of playing in, in the Super Bowl with him in 86. And I'll never forget this. You know, I'm at my desk about 8 o'clock in the morning that day, and George was a man of a few words. And my phone rings, my private line, it's, it's George. And all he says is, I hope we're happy. Well, I hope we're both happy at the end of this day. Of course, he was, I wasn't. Uh, but, uh, you know, that, that was how our relationship went. In 1994, Ernie, you come on as an assistant to George. He's the general manager. How quickly did it take you to accept that offer when you got the phone call from him? Not quickly, and I'll tell you why. I, the reason I left the Browns, and, and a lot of people say, well, you know, you, you didn't get along with Belichick. I, got, I hired Belichick. I, I had no problem, but my mother, I'm an only child. My mother was, was ailing, and she, she was going downhill in Hershey, Pennsylvania. For me, Cleveland was, you know, the West. I had never lived anywhere but in a circle of Baltimore State College, Philadelphia, and Hershey, PA, and, except to go to college. And I wanted to come back east. And the, Rose, Roselle was not the commissioner, but he told me it's very likely Baltimore's getting an expansion team. The governor hired me to interview prospective owners. And I felt, hey, look, if I'm doing that, i got a pretty good chance of being the general manager. And to me, it was like coming home. That's why I left. Well, we didn't get the team. We lost to Jacksonville. So I had nothing going. But during that period when I sold suites and club seats around town to show our strength in being able to sell out a stadium, which we did, I, I did so with, with Peter Angelos of the Orioles, and he hired me. And I was really happy, and George knew I was happy. I was in baseball, which I love. Look, my pension was never going to be the same. I, I love the National Football League, but I figured, you know what, I was, I was in the league 30 years, so be it, or 25 years at that point. Uh, I'm happy, you know, they liked me with the Orioles, and George knew that. He came down to games, and we talked a lot. So he got sick, if, as you'll recall, yes. and it, a lot of his weight problem was due to stress. And uh, they told him, look, you can continue to work, but you've got to drop the contracts, except for a very few and you can't be traveling all over the country scouting. So he brought me up basically to do that work. Um, 
But, you know, I, I, I mean, I was not making a lot of money in Baltimore, but I can guarantee you George wasn't offering me much either. So moving to New York, you know, I, I, I thought about it long and hard. I was very comfortable, and I, I just wasn't sure. Um, but then I thought, yeah, and I think on the – look, there were two reasons I took it. One was the strength of our relationship and friendship. And number two, I was going to the Giants. Now, I wouldn't have gone anywhere else. But I, I knew Wellington Mara. I didn't know John. I didn't know Bob Tisch. But I knew enough about the organization to know that, look, if you're going to work someplace and you have your choice, that's where you want to work. So that's how it happened. But it was not an easy decision, and George knew it. Because I remember when George first brought it up, and you know how he was. He wouldn't – there was no small talk. He didn't open the conversation with, geez, how are you doing? But, you know, he, he, he calls that day, and he said, I don't want to ruin your life. I mean, that's how it started, okay, <laughs> to bring me back into the pressure cooker. But, uh, but that was him, and, and uh, that's why I left. So when you finally took the job to be his assistant GM with the Giants, was there anything you learned about George after being in that position that you didn't know about him before? Uh, I wasn't shocked by it but i mean i had never worked for him we we were you know we were equals in baltimore and then we both became general managers about the same time uh we were making i remember we were making the same salary in baltimore 14,000 and he used to tell me i've been here 2 years longer than you. You, you you i should be making more money than you and we used to kid about that when i it was i was very important to me that having been a colleague and a and a friend and uh all these years, that I treated him like a boss when I came to New York. I could not, I was not going to come in there palsy-wowsy. It wasn't fair to him. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he was the vicar of this franchise uh, in the football end, and I, I didn't want anyone else to see me in any way, you know, treat him like we're, we were equals. I wanted to make sure that I paid him the proper homage as the boss. And not only the boss, but the eminently successful general manager. So I treated him that way. The one, the one thing I do remember, though, that he, you know, we, we didn't do in Baltimore together, and, and then I didn't work with him, was yelling and screaming at Asians. I, I used to have a, a you know, I, I used to laugh like heck. I, I don't know if you ever saw our quarters in the gym, the old gymnasium at Fairleigh Dickinson, but they were cramped. Sure. And we had some holdouts. I remember Keith Hamilton held out. And we were going to Berlin, and he was, you know, he was trying to get him signed so he could go to Berlin, which he never did go to Berlin. And and he is screaming at that age. <laughs> I mean, and he's rattling the walls, you know. But, and I said, geez, this isn't the George I remember in Baltimore. Uh, so that part of it, yeah, you know, but but uh, he was in charge then, you know. And, uh, and of course, in the last 48 hours, I've thought of so many stories uh, that, that and so many things that he taught me. It, they all come flowing back, but I, it, coming back to work for him, at that point in my life, I'm in my 50s. I've been a general manager for 12, 10 years. Uh, been to five playoffs, and now coming back to work for him, it was, it was like someone going back to Harvard to get their MBA. I mean, <laughs> you know, now now I had a chance to work for the best. Um, so it was it was a great treat, and I you know I really value those four years before I became general manager. 
first of all, the pressure was on him, not me. <laughs> that, that made it easier. I could sleep a little better. But secondly, it was such a joy to, to work with him. Ernie, let me ask you this. When you then became the Giants general manager, you have said there's not a day or a week goes by that you don't think about something that he said or that he taught you. And the Giants people, including John Mara, the Giants co-owner, says the same thing. Is there one particular item that reverberates more than others? Professionalism. And, you know, he taught me this lesson, uh, and I saw it, you know, in action every day But when I worked for him. But he taught me this lesson early in my career in Baltimore. Now, you, you know, you kind of are shaped by the one person, usually one person, sometimes there's more than one, in your profession that got you first and kind of you idolized or used as an inspiration. I came to Baltimore from Penn State, okay? So uh, I'm working for this feisty, feisty little guy, Paterno, and, <laughs> and you know, was not quiet on the sidelines. It was not quiet in the offices, uh, a little bit of a temper. And so I thought that's the way you act if you're a leader, okay? And and I would be in the press box, and I'd sit with George. I mean, this is when he was out coaching. And, you know, you didn't have any booths or suites in Baltimore. And we're in the back row of the press box, and there would be a call. And I wouldn't make a scene, but I'd, I'd be complaining and whining and, and sometimes maybe a little too loudly where the writers could hear me. <laughs> and one day he said to me, Act professional, will you? And, and that you know, he was a man of few words, and that really stung me. He said, "You're not working for the guy in Penn State anymore. You're working here in the Baltimore Colts. Be professional." And you know, I really thought that all the way through the time when I got back with him. He he was very professional his demeanor. He, you know, he would never. I sat with him during games. He wouldn't say a word. He wouldn't say a word of something. You might hear a little like sound coming out of his body but you but I said to him one time you know you that was a horrible call he said I know it I said well, you don't say anything he said what difference would it have made and and that you know that was him and uh, it, that was pretty much look I learned a lot of things on how to build a team I mean the, listen we, we we both got the Baltimore and Unitas was the quarterback now you you don't think that we were going to then mold our career around the importance of a quarterback, obviously. And the next thing we, we, you know, we knew that was vital was besides protecting that quarterback is a pass rush. So he comes up here, he drafts Phil Sims, and he drafts Lawrence Taylor. Okay, so he gets a quarterback who wins the Super Bowl and the best pass rusher I ever saw. So, so we, our philosophy was very similar when it came to that, how you build a team. Ernie, that is awesome stuff. Appreciate it. It was really awesome talking to you again, and uh, great memories, and I'm sure that everybody who listens uh, will have a smile on their face as they relive this stuff with you. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks for, thank you for asking me. That's Giants General Manager Ernie Accorsi. Now we are joined by Vinny Detrani, former writer for the Bergen Record, who was on the Giants beat for over three decades. He's been a finalist for the Pro Football Hall of Fame Writers Wing many times. And, of course, we are here to talk about the election of George Young, former Giants general manager, uh, going into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Thanks for taking the time, Vinny. Uh, we got some memories to go through for sure. George who? What, what were we talking about here? <laughs> <laughs> Very modest George Young, who uh, for sure probably would appreciate that joke. I just can't say enough about the man and the time I spent you know, covering him and uh, you know, talking with him and learning from him. And um, just a just a tremendous individual, and kind of a unique kind of individual. 
Well, let's talk about the beginning because George Young comes to the Giants after uh, a lengthy career with the Colts and the Dolphins. And in 79, he winds up becoming the Giants GM. You'd already been on the beat for a few years, and the Giants were having some tough times. Well, to say the least, I mean, you know, the fumble kind of, you know, was the most embarrassing thing any team had gone through pretty much. Um, you had two owners who didn't talk to one another. They would not talk to one another. And they went on this mission to find this general manager, and it was going months and months. I called it the marathon because it was just it was going on and on and on. That's and, puns, and, <laughs> and it got into February, and uh, one morning, Wellington Mara calls a press conference at 11 o'clock in the morning and announces that he wants to go get a coach because it was getting late. And um, Timmy came down at... 11:30 and said no no we're not going to do that we're going to get a general manager and have him hire a coach so there was this standoff but both of them had mentioned that earlier in the day someone had turned down their request you know for him to be the general manager so i assumed it was someone on the east coast because it was early in the morning and it was it was jan van duzer from the league office but i didn't you know i thought it was somebody from a te another team so i went back to the office and i looked through all the media guides uh, of teams on the East Coast in the East, Eastern time zone. And I came across George Young in Miami. And I said, mm, this guy seems kind of interesting. So I called a friend of mine in Miami, one of the writers, and I said, did you hear anything about George Young turning down the Giants? He goes, no, but here's his number. You can call him and ask him. So he gave me his home number. I called, and George gets on the line, and I explained, I introduced myself, explained why I was calling, and it was this pause, and I thought, oh, I got him. He's the guy, and he turned it down. Then next thing you hear, how'd you get this number? Where'd you get this <laughs> phone number? And, and, and he started, you got it from, you know, the, you got it from another writer. What, you people do this, blah, blah. And he went on for about a minute just railing. And I'm saying to myself, please say you turned down the job because I don't want to have to deal with this guy for forever. And then he calmed down, and he says, okay, now what do you want to know? And I asked him the question again, and he said, no, it wasn't me, and you know, usually I hear these things, but I didn't hear anything, and we talked, we actually talked about the job for a couple of minutes, and I told him, well, it's going to be a tough job, because, you know, you got two owners who, you know, who, who don't, don't talk to one another, you got a losing culture here that's been built up for years and years, I was probably trying to dissuade him from taking it, <laughs> and, uh, but then a week later, there he is at Gallagher's uh, uh, Steakhouse in New York, as general manager, new general manager of the Giants. And uh, through the years when George and I, whenever we got into a little argument, Sally, or, you know, we just disagreed on something, I would always say, George, remember, I called you before the Maras did. And he would go, yeah, that's right, you did, yeah, okay. But uh, it, it, he was just a wonderful guy. I always told people he was like the NFL's version of the Grinch who stole Christmas because he had the rough exterior, made like he was grumpy and grouchy, always had things close to the vest. But when push came to shove, if he if he respected you, he cared about you, and he wanted to teach you and wanted you to learn the good things about the game. Yeah, he would. You know, sometimes he could. What do you want? You know, what do you want now? You know, he would start out like that, and then you tell him, and and he would explain. And you know, remember he was a history teacher. He, mm -hmm. he taught world history as well as being a coach and, and when he was in high school uh, teaching high school and you'd ask him a question and sometimes he'd say well you remember how king joseph the 18th uh, uh defeated the himalayans in 1437 don't you 
And I say, I would say, yeah, George, you know, just refresh my mind on that. And he would give you the history lesson, and then he would show you how that history lesson applied to the football question here. So you would get a history lesson and a football lesson in one phone call. And uh, you know, he, he, was just, he was just great to talk to. One of the things that I always admired about George, especially early in his career, when he revamped the Giants' structure and built what was the next era of great Giants teams, you know, first-round picks, in a lot of ways, they can be easy. But throughout his draft, he always did well in the second, third, fourth round, et cetera, et cetera, because he was very much involved in the process. Well, he, you know, he, was, he was a scout at heart, I think, too. I mean, he, he loved to scout. He loved to, you know, look, watch tape of players, film of players. Um, and every Saturday, whether it was, it was a home game or a road game the next day, he would go to a college game. And, uh, you know, a lot of times you'd ask him, where'd you go, George? Where'd you go yesterday? And he'd tell you. And you'd like to know, okay, well, he's looking at this guy, looking at that guy. I remember one time we were, uh, it was a home game, and he, he's in the press box. I said to him, George, where'd you go yesterday? He said, I saw the best player in the country this yesterday. And, uh, and at the time, we all thought the Giants were going to draft George Rogers because they had a horrible running attack. And even in the press room, we had a, 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 on a, we had a blackboard and we had a chart. George versus the Giants. This is the 1990 football, uh, 1980, 1980, 1980 football right, season. Right. And um, we put how many yards George Rogers got on Saturday and how many yards the Giants got on Sunday as a team. And George Rogers always out. So we thought pretty much that the Giants were going to, you know, wanted to get George Rogers. And so I said, where'd you go? He goes, I saw the best player in the country. And I said, oh, you went to South Carolina. And he looked at me and went, wrong Carolina. And then right away we knew, oh, he's not interested in George. He's interested in Lawrence Taylor. And uh, you know, he would he would always give you little things like that. That he would just uh, he was just great like that. Now, one of the things that the writers always said about George was he was so respectful and 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 really so professional that eventually, when George uh, retired from the Giants and then he was with the league for a couple of years in 2001, the pro football writers here in New York who covered the Giants named the good guy, George Young good guy award after him. Talking about an honor, that's that's a pretty big deal. Yeah, I mean, I think everyone everyone who covered the team and got to, you know, deal with George appreciated how he would like if you had something that you know, he didn't particularly care to to expand on, um he would he would never like try to get you off the off the track. He would say, I have no comment on that. And then you knew there was something there. But if it was something that you thought was right and wasn't, he would tell you, you know, don't go down that road or don't go up that tree. That's not. And you would know that he wasn't trying to just put you off. He was telling you that's not, you know, that's not the case. You know, look, look somewhere else. That's not the case. But like I said, he never tried to, to knock you off of something that you were on to. And um, I, that was, I always appreciated that, and I think all the other writers and, and broadcasters who dealt with him appreciated that, too, that he was always honest, and he never tried to lead you astray. You know, in George's career as GM with the Giants, and we'll, we'll finish up on this note, uh, he wound up from 79 through 97, uh, taking the Giants not only to two Super Bowl championships, eight playoff appearances with four different head coaches, Ray mm-hmm. Perkins, Bill Parcells, Dan Reeves, and Jim Fossil. That in itself is a pretty amazing feat. And, of course, in 87, I remember the picture of George 
looking down from the press box window of him crying on the bench at the end of the 87 season at the uh, the regular season finale. Jim Fossil was the coach, and the Giants had won that division championship, and he knew that he was retiring. Ernie, mm-hmm. of course, he was going to be taking the job, and he had left the Giants in good hands. The emotions just poured out like I had never seen before. Well, yeah, George, George loved football. He loved the game of football. He loved the National Football League. I mean, he served on, you know, another thing about him being a contributor, he served on so many committees in the league as well as handling the general managers. I mean, he was, he was co-chairman of the competition committee mm-hmm. with, uh, with uh, Tech Schramm for so many years, and that's one of the most prestigious c- committees in the league. He also was on the college. He helped soothe over the college thing when uh, uh, the NFL was forced to take in underclassmen right. and, and some of the colleges were, oh, we're not going to let your scouts in anymore, blah, blah, blah. You know, he helped smooth that over. He, he, would, he loved the National Football League, and he learned to love the New York Giants. I mean, you know, he came up here and, you know, he, he just put everything into his whole soul into, you know, making, turning this thing around, which was not an easy job. And, um, you know, I, 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 one time I asked him, I said, George, you know, you and Lovey, his wife, I said, you never had any kids. He goes, that would not have been fair to any child that I had because I spent so much time on my job that, you know, it wouldn't be fair to have any children. And, you know, and that's the kind of way he was. He was just devoted to to turning this thing around to making this team the best it could be and you know and to keeping it there and uh you know he just he was just a tremendous tremendous uh person george young was 71 when he passed away from an illness in 2001 spent 34 of his years in some way shape or form in the national football league and uh, now a member of the pro football hall of fame Vinny detrani former beat writer from the bergen record we appreciate your time no, my pleasure, Paul, talking about George. We thank Vinny Detrani and Ernie Accorsi for joining us today on the Giants Huddle Podcast, which you can find on Giants.com, the Giants mobile app, and all your favorite podcast platforms. For all the Giants podcast offerings, please go to Giants.com slash podcasts.